the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your body does not forget deep trauma. And sooner or later it catches up to you. And the best medicine at such a time when it catches up to you because it caught up with Joseph. The best medicine is to find a safe place to weep and cry and get it out. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is the conclusion to the Sorcerer's Cup. We brought you the first portion the last time we were together. We'll conclude that now. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentango. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Jacob called Benjamin my son. Judah doesn't call him your son here. Judah calls him our brother, which implies that we are all your sons. We are all your sons, Father, because he is our brother. But Jacob goes right back to the negative stuff as he blames them again with that you statement that always destroys trust and communication is based on love. Look, when you're having conflict in your home and you turn to your spouse or your children and say, you, 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 you need to stop. You need to catch those words. They're destructive. It's better to say, I think, I feel, not you, you, you. Jacob didn't know that. Verse 6. Israel said, that's Jacob, why did you treat me so ill as to tell the man that you had another brother? Judah explained to Jacob that this enigmatic lord of the land in Egypt questioned them hard, that he was smart and they couldn't lie to him and they wouldn't. Judah told his father that he pressed us with the question, do you have another brother? And he said, we don't know that he would order us to bring our little brother down. We didn't know, but we had to answer the question, dad, father. Let him come with us so we can all live. And that means you too. Dad, you're going to die if you just sit here doing nothing. Dad, there's another generation that's going to die. Look at our kids. They don't know the mess that you went through and we went through. But dad, they're all going to die if you don't allow Benjamin to grow up and become the man he was meant to be with me, his brother. We all need to go down, dad. Dad, there's another generation that needs Benjamin to be a man. Let him go down. At this point, Judah becomes a type of the coming Christ who intercedes and saves. The man whose name means praise, intercedes and saves. Look at verse 7. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, 
that we may live and not die, but we and you and also our little ones, I will be a surety for him. Of my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Dad, delay and fear is killing us all. It's killing you. I will stand in the gap and put my life on the line to save them all, to save you. Dad, we must act to save our family. Judah is here acting out the attitude of a savior. And let us never forget that Jesus was born. But the angel said he will save his people from their sins. Christ became part of the human family, the courageous lion of the tribe of Judah to save us from our sins. Judah is acting out the future here. Friend, fear never saved anyone. Fear has never saved anyone. Courage can, and it takes courage to be a savior. That's why Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Finally, Jacob agreed, but he hedged a little bit with another idea. He loaded them up with gifts to impress the Lord of the land. He's going back to his old trick bag. When his brother Esau was angry with him when he was returning from Haran, he decided he'd try to bribe him and send all these gifts ahead of him. And that's what he does here. Jacob gave them choice fruits from the land that were probably nothing more than dried raisins and figs. He gave them balm that heals, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds to soothe. Now, I'll take a vote here. Pistachio nuts or almond nuts? How many of you like pistachio nuts more? No? How many of you like almonds more? Pistachios win. Yes. I like pistachios. I take them both, though, and I put them on ice cream. They're great, especially chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream, you put pistachios and almonds, and you mix them. Well, he sends the goodies to the Lord of the land. Yes, I eat ice cream occasionally. I will not confess that as a sin. It's a sacred virtue. Now, he gave them balm that heals, gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds to soothe. They have calcium, and it's a soothing thing. He then gave them double the money to pay the man off. You know that works? Bribe him. A bribe should work. A little bakshish is the term here. A, a bribe. Well, give him money, twice as much money. In verse 13, we have the evidence that Judah's courage has finally brought healing into play because dad is thinking proactively, not ideally, but proactively. Jacob no longer uses the word my son in describing Benjamin as if to deny them the right of being his sons. Also, a shift is now occurring in his fatherly mind. Verse 13, take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. Eureka! Benjamin is your brother and not just my son. Get up and go with your brother and don't ever forget that he is your brother and that this fact alone makes you also my sons. In verse 14 comes the blessing they have needed all their lives. Now it's amazing. Jacob wanted the blessing and the birthright. He was willing to lie and steal it from his brother, but he was so slow in passing it on to his children. In verse 14 comes the blessing they have needed all their lives. A blessing Jacob has never given them until now. He's withheld them this blessing because of his pain and the loss of Joseph. Look at it. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that he may send back your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob is at last confessing that the you he has accused of stealing his sons are also his children, his sons. 
In an awkward kind of way, Jacob is saying that he loves them all as his dear children. This is the first time in Jacob's life that he has figured out that he cannot love one above the others without losing them all to hate and to a fractured kind of dysfunctional relationship. He will either gain them all as brothers for the future as men who grow up, or he'll lose them all for the future as brothers. But they must be one if they are to go forward in life, or life has no meaning if it's governed only by fear and grief and delay. He lets them go, and as a sacred clan of brothers they go to Egypt. Sometimes you have to let a child go to get him or her back. And thus Jacob lets them all go down to Egypt to get them all back. They had gone to Egypt with the claim before that we are 12 brothers. And now for the first time in their life, they are 12 brothers minus one on the journey. They don't realize it on the journey to find the last brother, Joseph. And so they leave their father on a mission to save them all. We call that redemption. And when they arrive in Egypt, they appear before Joseph, the Lord of the land, with their little brother, Benjamin, close at hand. And when they appear, the command is given to bring them to the ruler's house. That's Joseph's house, where he will slay an animal to eat so they can dine with him that day. And then they begin to tremble and be afraid of him. Tremble. They're fearful. What kind of cruel meal is this that the Lord of the land is planning for us? Is he going to cut us to pieces at the meal? Will he kill the animal and kill us too? They are sure that he will accuse them of stealing his money and putting in their sacks. And of this they are most afraid. And what will follow they do not know. And it's the unknown that is the most fearful thought. When they appear before the Lord of the land, it was really Joseph. They tell him what has happened. And how they found the money in their sacks. And that they didn't steal it from him because they are honest men. And Joseph answers back in a way they do not expect as he makes light of it all with a religious joke, it seems. Look at verse 23. Genesis 43, 23. He replied, rest assured, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father must have put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. They do not know that at that point in time, they are now 12 brothers again. All 12 brothers are standing together in one place in Egypt After all those years of pain, guilt, and suffering, Joseph knows it, but they know nothing. Sometimes it's easier to live a normal life when you know nothing at all. People who don't have deep perception have an easier road. That's a fact. But it's the ones who know it all, who have insight that we call perception and intuition, who are empathic, who can read, who can feel for others, who see beyond the surface of circumstances, to understand the whole picture of the thing. These are the ones who often suffer the most for the many who know nothing in life. Joseph knew it all and they knew nothing. At this point, they got their presence ready to impress the Lord of the land. As their dad had told them to do, they're following dad's action plan. And when Joseph showed up, they all bowed down like their dad had told them to do. And when he approached Esau after Jacob's fight, just like Jacob had, he came to Esau, he bowed down. They're doing the same thing. Dad knew what to do. And Joseph asked them if their father was okay, and they said, he is alive and well. And then Joseph's eyes fell on Benjamin, his younger brother. Not his half-brother like them, but his whole brother. The only brother of his mother who had died giving birth to him. His heart went out to Benjamin. Verse 29. And he lifted up his eyes, saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph had experienced deep trauma and the loss of all his brothers, but most of all Benjamin. 
Deep trauma changes you. Scientists tell us that deep trauma caused by abuse or neglect damages the brain and leaves its effects for the rest of your life. There's a physiological impact that comes because of deep trauma. Your body does not forget deep trauma. And sooner or later it catches up to you. And the best medicine at such a time when it catches up to you because it caught up with Joseph, the best medicine is to find a safe place to weep and cry and get it out. Joseph was a man who needed to let it all out in a safe place where it wouldn't hurt anyone else. You know, these people have got to weep and cry and let it out to the harm of others aren't helping anybody, including themselves. Joseph went to a place where he could cry and weep and pray and get it right. That's why Joseph wept those tears for the many years he had lost in his father's house. He needed healing in his life. Verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, let food be served. The Hebrew says he forced himself, forced himself. He put the mask back on to hide the true him from them. The brilliant act continued on, but for the first time in many years, in a confused kind of way, they were all again together in the same place as brothers again, broken, but brothers again. The brothers and their father, Jacob, had been controlled by fear and guilt. It's easy to perceive that in the storyline. But Joseph had been set free by his pain, by his innocence, by his tears and his service. He was on a higher plane than all of them. So fears and tears met at the same table that day. And there was grace in that place where hate might have been were it not for God. But something happened like Holy Communion, like the Lord's Supper, when people who should dislike each other and hate each other come together and love each other. And so there's prophetic picture here of what Jesus would do when he would break bread for his disciples before he would die. Joseph ate with the Egyptians as he watched his brothers eating with themselves, because Egyptians would not naturally associate with Hebrews, especially shepherds who they considered to be defiling. His brothers did not understand why Joseph ordered them to sit in a way that only a sorcerer could devise. Look at verse 33. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. How did he know the order of their rank as sons and brothers? How did he know which one was born first all the way down to the youngest? And then it got worse as he began to serve them. The Lord of the land was serving their table himself. Lords in Egypt, don't do that. My translation is not accurate here. Now, Jesus said, if anyone would be great among you, let him become a servant. We see Joseph acting this out. My translation, the Revised Standard Version, is not accurate here. But the New King James Version is a perfect reflection of the Hebrew text. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's servings was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. The Hebrew says he took servings, literally, from his face unto them. The food that was in front of him, he brought it to them. The greatest man in the land was serving them from his own table. And he looked like he had the knowledge of a sorcerer because he knew them all by rank and years and age and order. And thus he fed them with his own hand, the sorcerer's hand that held the silver cup. It would appear that the sorcerer's hand was serving them with an eye that could see right through them, that was somehow clairvoyant, psychic. When the meal was over, the Lord of the land commanded the men's sacks be filled with as much grain as they could hold, and that their money be put in the sacks of the mouth as well, so they could be easily seen when you opened the bag. 
Don't hide the money, Joseph said. Put it at the top, at the mouth of the bag. It'll be deja vu all over again. That's the plan for them. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Genesis 44, verse 1. Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. The emphasis in verse 2 is on the cup. Joseph calls it my cup, the silver cup. Have you ever wonder why that silver cup was so important? The silver cup, as you know in the story, was put in Benjamin's sack with his money also. In ancient Egypt, there were times in the old kingdom of Egypt when silver was worth far more than gold. A silver cup in the hand of a ruler was considered a sorcerer's tool to see the future in the hearts of men. They would look into that cup and they would stare at the reflections and they would divine the future, it was thought. It was a magic instrument. Many a ruler and many a wizard in Egypt had gazed into a silver cup to discern the future, or so they thought. Egypt was a land mesmerized with the idea of deep magic and its power over people. The silver cup of magic was associated with the false god Anubis, the jackal god of the dead who weigh the heart like a sorcerer at death. I recommend if you ever want to read about this, just read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. You'll see the pictures because Egyptian writing is full of pictures, hieroglyphic art as well. And so they weigh the heart of the dead on a scale. One side was the heart, on the other side a feather. And if the heart was heavier than the feather, the crocodile god was there to gobble you up. Cleopatra was the last queen of Egypt, and she had seduced the Roman general Mark Antony to come to Egypt to be her lover. Their navy was defeated by Octavius Augustus Caesar at the Sea Battle of Actium in B.C. 31. They fled on their love boat to Egypt, but they only had one year to live after they lost that battle because the armies of Octavius Caesar was marching one step at a time toward Alexandria to destroy them. Mark Antony committed suicide before Augustus could get him. And before Cleopatra did the same with the help of an asp's venom, she had her priest melt the silver cup that she had received from the ancient Greeks. She was a Greek pharaoh. Ptolemy was of the Greeks, and so the new line of the pharaohs were of Greek origin. She melted the silver cup she had received from the ancient Greeks so Caesar would never gain its magical powers. She believed that her silver cup had magic in it and that she had successfully used it to seduce Mark Antony and to control the destiny of Egypt. As she watched the cup melt in the fire, we're told by historians, she was convinced that her magical powers would die with her. Thus the silver cup mattered to the ancient Egyptians. To steal the cup was to steal the power of the wizard and the magician who held it because the silver cup was the sorcerer's cup in their minds. Now Joseph knew all this was nonsense. He was operating on a higher plane. He had technology and insight from God. But he also knew that they didn't know that. 
And it was a little too problematic to educate everybody, so he had his silver cup. And thus the plan was in play that would bring his brothers to their knees. And he, with his silver cup, would weigh their hearts to see, just like Anubis, he would weigh their hearts to see if they were heavier than a feather. When the morning came, Joseph sent them away with all the goodies of gold in their sacks. They did not know what he knew. That is always the way a good magician works. A good magician always knows something you don't know. And it's that difference that makes it look like magic. A good magician always knows what you don't know. And what appears to be an act of magic is always a well-thought-out plan that is a trickster's technology. When they had gone a little way, the steward of his house pursued them with a plan well-devised so as to look like magic to the men. Verses 4 and 5. When they had gone but a short distance from the city, Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you returned evil for good? Why have you stolen my silver cup? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he divines? You have done wrong in so doing. As the spokesman for the Lord of the land, the steward caught up with them. And just as Joseph had commanded them to do, he accused them of stealing the Lord of the land's silver cup, the sorcerer's cup. They knew they were innocent, and so they defended themselves with vigor before the steward of the Lord of the land. Verse 7, they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants that they should do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of the sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then should we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it be found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves." They were amazed as they denied any wrongdoing. But the evidence of a sin they did not commit was soon staring them all in the face as the steward opened up all their bags and found the money in them all. And as he opened up Benjamin's bag, he found the money in it also, and there the silver cup. The silver cup, the sorcerer's cup, as it was thought, was in Benjamin's bag. And in that moment when they saw the sorcerer's silver cup at the mouth of the bag, their worst fears had become a living nightmare as the evil magic of the black master magician settled on them all. They were hung by their own words and the truth that was a lie that they did not tell. They did not steal the silver cup, but there it was staring at them like the truth it was not. Let the man who has the silver cup die, they said. And let us be slaves also. Verse 10, Genesis 44. And he said, Let it be to you as you say, Be with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be blameless. Then every man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. Every man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then they rent their clothes, and every man loaded his ass, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can indeed divine? Joseph said, Do you not know? He knew what they did not know. And that is how every good magician plays his game to fool the crowd. The silver cup was back in his hand, and he stood before them as the Lord of the land, weighing their hearts like Anubis, the jackal god of death in Egypt.
Verse 15, Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can indeed divine? Dear Heavenly Father, how many families here, many of us in families, have had those times we couldn't figure out why bad things were coming our way? It was so easy to fall in the trap of being a victim or to think that somehow God is out to get us and not to discern the plan that's deeper in. As C.S. Lewis would call it, the deep magic, which is really nothing more than God's grace that we don't understand, the technology of salvation. And so, Father, I thank you this day that no one here in this place has been called to a life journey that is a bitter story. They've been called to have a tale of victory in their lives. Their children have been called to be saved. They've been called as parents to work toward that end and to see the fruit of the travail of their lives. Lord, bless everyone in this place and everyone who hears the word and believes it. Bless them with a future full of love, full of hope, where plenty is to be expected from the throne of grace, and where, Father, you will lead families and others to come together and not apart. Thank you for Jesus, Lord, who, like Judah, put his life on the line to make it all happen. And we love him. Thank you for Jesus. Dear Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for Reaching Your Heart. That will conclude the Sorcerer's Cup. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. The Sorcerer's Cup. Thanks for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. And that address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.